will be in four chapters today. First Peter chapter 1. Our series, as we kind of divert from our normal trend of going through 1 Samuel, and for this month, is entitled, This is Oakland Woods. Today we're going to talk about that this is grace. On our vacation, we saw a lot of amazing things. You ever get the chance to be there at Mount Rushmore when they do the light ceremony and lower the flag? Absolutely amazing and patriotic. Uh, seeing the Pacific Ocean, eh, Lake Michigan's better. But, uh, you know, uh, if you get a chance to go out, it was just amazing. And to see the, the Great Plains and the Badlands and the hills country and the black, just an amazing country that we have. But one of the most fascinating things that I think Sandra and I chuckled at the most we ended up in Bend, Oregon, where some very good friends of ours are pastors. And we ended up in Bend, Oregon, and we found out in Bend, Oregon, that the very last blockbuster video still existed. We went there. And it was amazing because that's all people were doing, was just taking pictures outside. It was like a tourist thing. And we went there, and now Belle, who is here, she's 12. And we tried to explain to Belle what a blockbuster was. And we said there was this place where you would go if you wanted to watch a movie. And she said, don't you just watch it on your phone? <laughs> no, if you wanted to watch a movie, you got together. And if you were married, you would go on a Friday night, and you would go for about two hours and argue. <laughs> and you would try to decide. And Sandra's trying to explain the new releases and the old ones, and they'd have it all set up by sections. And we would go through it, and then, you'd, you, then eventually he would go pick something, then you would go pick something, and then you'd met in the middle, and then you'd only watch one of them, and you had to bring it back the next day. And originally they were in tapes. And she said, what's a tape? Yeah, anyways. But we went through and explained it, and there were people. It was really a fascinating because there was a lineup. We took a picture by the sign. And there was a lineup of nonstop people coming by to take a bend as a tourist place, and people would find out that this is the last blockbuster video in America. And I thought about this, and it just kind of stayed in my mind that, unfortunately, there's a lot of churches just like this. They are closing. They are empty. And see, the first reaction that many people have when you discuss a, a church that went out of style, a building and a process, well, we must update immediately. We must change and we must adjust with the times. And the thought comes to, well, we have to change our music with the times. We have to get different lighting for this. And we have to create a certain type of excitement. And when you go to church, you should feel like you're at a Broadway play because we have to adjust because obviously... Can I just say that that's not a church? Amen. That is not church. That's not a, a church. A church is a family. A church is a gathering of people who have had an experience with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. A church is a group of people who don't always agree on everything, but do agree that this is the infallible Word of God. A church is a group of people. It's, it's, it's senior citizens. It's, it's cranky teenagers, right? Notice I didn't say cranky senior citizens. Those teenagers are cranky, aren't they? Guess what I'm going to say at 11 o'clock. But anyways, it's babies. It's elementary teachers. It's a whole different group. That is not a church. And I've been to these and I've seen them. It's really just a show. And you know what they are? 
they are the blockbuster of the future. I've been going to church my entire life. I was in church the fourth day of my life, and I've been watching the trends, and I have seen these things. Part of my master's degree was about the trends of the church and different things, and I've had the opportunity to study these things. These are nothing but blockbuster videos because here's what happens. If your church relies on trends, then you've got to go on to the next trend eventually. I don't know where it happened or why, but what, why does it have to be that a pastor has to stand in front of a wooden wall in order to preach the gospel? In fact, it's, it's a little bit more spiritual if it's reclaimed wood. Where did that come from? But do you know what? In the next couple years, that trend will be gone and it'll be a completely different trend. And another trend will take its place and another trend will take its place. If your church is centered around entertainment, Pastor Gregory taught me so many things and one of the greatest things he taught me is this. You will never compete with the world for entertainment. That's true. I've been to mega churches. I've been to churches with 40,000 people in it and the, and the huge the things. You know what? They have amazing music. They have amazing speaking. But you know what? It's still not better than the world's music as far as the quality and production. It's no Broadway play. It's still not. You will never compete with the world as far as entertainment goes. But we're not here to entertain them. And by the way, listen, what you do to have to get people is what you're going to have to constantly do to keep people. We are not about getting people. Do you understand that? We're about lifting up Jesus. If somebody joins in with us, praise God. But if nobody does, we will still lift up Jesus. What is Oakland Woods about then? Well, if you're taking notes, Oakland Woods offers grace. We do not offer entertainment. We do not offer a show. We are not blockbuster. We offer grace. A church is centered around Jesus. It's centered around what he did, what he did and what he still offers today. And so many churches get pulled off sides by good things and feeding the homeless and the pro-life movement and being involved in our community. And I just remind you what yesterday was. Yesterday is not the goal of Oaklandwoods Baptist Church. You understand that? The goal of Oaklandwoods Baptist Church is to lift up Jesus and offer grace. Yesterday was a symptom of our goal. You understand the difference? We are not a community organizing group. The Rotary Club can do all of that, and they're a great group. The Lions Club can do all that. They're a great group in the Clarkston area. We are about lifting up Jesus and offering the grace that Jesus has. But what, what type of grace does a church offer? If you're taking notes, let me give you this. A church offers saving grace. A church offers sanctifying grace of growth. And a church offers serving grace of ministry. The saving grace is all about Jesus. Let me be clear. He died for your sins. You were a sinner separated from God for all eternity who could do nothing about it. And God loved you so much, he sent Jesus to die on a cruel Roman cross. And if you in childlike faith will finally accept what he did for you and receive him as your savior, Jesus will forgive you of your sins. The grace of God will come into your life and heaven is your eternal destination. Amen? Isn't that amazing? If that had been enough, if that had been all the grace God had offered, I think that would have been enough. But he's so wonderful. He gives us serving grace. 
after sanctifying grace, after salvation, sanctification is the process. Salvation is instantaneous, but sanctification can be a lifelong process. It's slowly, you can view it as stopping habits and stopping doing wrong things, and that, that guess that is the byproduct, but it's really more like this. It's slowly trying to conform and be more like Jesus. That's the best definition of sanctification. And lastly, serving grace. Serving grace means everyone can have a purpose. Let me, let me walk gently, and if I need to talk to you afterwards, I'll, I, I'll be glad to, because I don't want there to be misunderstandings. This serving grace, I say this politely and kindly, okay? This is why so many people suffer from depression. Not everybody, but so many people suffer from depression because if I could say this kindly and politely, who is counting on you to get out of bed this week? There's nobody that depends on you. There's no community that you're involved in. Bowling is a great thing to be involved in. Not not my thing, but it's a good thing. Golfing is a great thing to be involved in. Not my thing and everything else. But I can't find anything better to be involved in the local New Testament church. You wonder why you should get out of bed. Well, let me just ask you this. Who depends on you? If you would get involved in serving, it would change so much of your outlook. As your pastor, one one of the things I try to do and somebody paid me this, and I said, that's the best compliment you could ever pay, is I try to give anybody a chance. Unless you're disqualified or unless you, don't, you can't follow leadership and guidelines. I said, Pastor, I'd like to try something. Nine times out of ten, I'll go, why not? You're not going to burn the building down. You can't say anything more crazy than I say. An opportunity to serve. You see, if you don't have all three you're not receiving the full grace of God. You're missing out on something. If you examine your life and feel like, Jesus, this isn't, this, uh, I don't know what, this is not fitting in. Could it possibly be that you're missing all three? The most important one is saving grace. Sanctification, is there an issue in your life that needs to be dealt with? And lastly, as George begs for Awana workers, he said, well, I don't like kids. I don't like them either. I don't blame anybody in here for going, I just don't like children. Why do we keep having them? I mean, if I came in your house and screamed and cried and the whole diaper thing, man, man, I mean, you would be offended at everything. But if I bring one of my little ones in your house, you go, oh, aren't they hilarious? Yay! You know, these little boys and girls need Jesus. And over 80% of people receive Christ before the age of 20. We need to reach them for the gospel. You know why? Because the world is trying to reach them. There's communities that want them to get involved in sin. They're trying to reach them. The drug dealers are trying to reach them. The alcohol industry is trying to reach them. Maybe if we reached them before they got them, this world would be a different place. Saving grace, sanctifying grace and serving grace. The book of 1 Peter is loaded with that wonderful world word of grace. The premier church growth key is grace. What we do know about 1 Peter, let me give you some background as we jump into this. We know that it was Peter who was writing, and Peter is writing to persecuted Christians and churches. This took place after Nero, and 
Many of you know about Nero and the burning of Rome. Nero, whether he did it or not, did use the Christians as a scapegoat. So Peter is writing to a group of believers who are being persecuted by their country. They were living in countries and community who hated Christians, who wanted all the Christians gone, and quite frankly wished the Christians would leave and die. Sound familiar? What we're not sure about? Well, we're not sure about where Peter is writing. If you get a chance, you can see one of the last verses in this book in 1 Peter 5.13. Peter says he's writing from Babylon. And two developments, really two theories are come out of that. That Peter is writing in the city of Rome, and he's using a code word for Rome, or he's just sort of talking about the Babylonian experience. Another group believe that Peter is in Asia Minor, which is Turkey today, and Peter's talking about this demonic force and this demonic presence that is just sort of overtaking the world. Either way, whether he's writing in a materialistic, shallow, sinful city, or he's writing in a country that's oppressed by a demonic dark force, either way, we can relate to both, can't we? That's where Peter's writing to, and he writes to these churches in a time when Satan wants them dead, in a time when they're, they're under attack. And you know what Peter's answer for this? You need to come up with a new marketing program. You should think of a new scheme to draw seekers in. You really should change the lighting of your church. And if you did this better, maybe that's not what he does. Peter comes at them and he says, dispense grace to a cold and evil dark world. Give them grace. The entire book is focused on that. By the way, some of you that are in here and you have a spouse that doesn't know Christ as your personal Savior, Peter talks about that grace, about giving that spouse grace also. But let's look at the three things about grace that we're just going to pick on today. Number one, the grace given changes eternal destination. Look at 1 Peter 1, 3 with me. Wherefore, gird up your loins. I love the King James. I love that's basically saying, Peter's saying, get ready for something important. Hold on to your socks because this is coming at you. Gird up your loins of your mind. Be sober. Can I just say that that term sober means a physical sober? Yes. I would like to encourage you. I lose people every time I say this, but I'm going to stand on this ground. I would like to encourage you to avoid alcohol in your life, to get it out of your home and not be part of it. It does nothing but damage and danger people. No one's life has ever been better because they found Budweiser. No home has ever been brought back together because of Jack Daniels. I realize in the church culture today, pastors are stopping saying that, and they're walking away and saying, hey, have a beer, do this, come to our wine tasting class and everything else like this. Please, run away from alcohol. But it means more than just that type of sober. It means a spiritual sober. It means a steadfast consistency that will not be moved or pushed away from this truth. So Peter says, stay with this. And what is it? And the hope of the end for your grace. Your hope must be only in Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Not Jesus plus baptism. Not Jesus plus doing good works. Not Jesus plus speaking in tongues. It must be just in the grace of Jesus that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That revelation, what he's talking about is when Jesus will reveal himself to the world. He's talking about the second coming of Christ there. In our Wednesday night classes, we're gonna, they're going to be discussing more of that. But heaven, heaven is a possibility for one reason and one reason alone. Grace. I know if you've been in church long enough, you know Ephesians 2.8. For by works, 
Oh, no, no, it doesn't say that. For by baptism, for by catechism class, for by taking the preacher to dinner. <laughs> Gary, can I change that one? Add a little. No. For by, say it with me, for by grace, grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. People need to hear this. When I was a student pastor at Faith, um, I don't mean to get political, but I've always been very involved in the pro-life movement. Um, as the ninth pregnancy in 10 years, I'd be pretty hypocritical if I wasn't pro-life. But uh, we were involved in this, and one of the ladies who was in charge of the Michigan Right to Life group uh, had a march going. So I took my students down to it. It was a Catholic church in Dearborn, and we marched quietly down to an abortion clinic in Dearborn, prayed, came back. We had a rally. It was supposed to be interfaith. I asked Pastor Greg, are you okay? Because I was supposed to say a few words and pray. He said, fine. A Muslim man got up and said a few things. I was very pleased with what he thought about life, and that was great. Another lady who was involved in a denomination, I won't mention the name, got up and started to explain how the only way you were going to heaven was through good works, by doing the catechism, by doing these certain sacraments and explaining all of this, violating the rules that were set down, but she went ahead and did it anyways. And then I had to follow that, and I kind of, well, I kind of did a nice job of correcting her. But I heard that, and I got so used, of course, by grace. That Sunday night, by the way, we had Sunday nights, a good thing to come to. And that Sunday night, Pastor Gregory preached on grace. He preached this passage, and I have never amened him more in my life. I was in tears as he was talking about the grace of God and how it saves us. And there's nothing you can or have to do to accept Christ. It was amazing because I believe sometimes we have to be reminded at how amazing grace really is. Can I warn you of a teaching? This is a theological error. This is not truth. This is a theological error. And theologians call it this term. They call it hypergrace. There's a, a guy on TV by the last name of Prince who is part of this. Please do not watch him. He's not a good man. But it's hypergrace is an error. I cannot stress that enough. means this. Christians do not need to repent or confess sin. They teach that all sin is covered under grace, and some will go so far as to say you don't even have to accept Christ. That, that conflicts Romans 10, doesn't it? 10, 9, and 10, and 11. It conflicts it. You don't even have to accept Christ. In fact, you can do whatever you want. As soon as you get in the club, you're okay. Do whatever you want. God has his grace covers it all. You can uh, cheat on your wife, though some of will go far into that. You can get drunk. You can be involved in cheating everything because it doesn't really matter. You got in the club and you're going to heaven. There's nothing God can do and you never have to repent as a believer in Jesus Christ. I listen to those people and I wonder what Ananias and Sapphira would think about that teaching. Jude 4 says this, and this is about those men. Jude 4 is a wonderful verse regarding this. Ungodly men turning the grace of our Lord God into lasciviousness, immorality, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot lose your salvation. Say amen. amen. But you know what? You can lose the joy of your salvation. You can lose the power of the Holy Spirit moving in your life. And as believers in Jesus Christ, yes, we are saved and we don't have to do anything to, to, to uh, earn our salvation or keep it. But as believers in Jesus Christ, I need to come back to the throne of God and repent and get right with God and let God deal out more grace to me. Today as a church, we offer you that opportunity. Number two, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. Grace changes earthly relationships. Grace changes earthly relationships. 
you're struggling in marriage, you have a spouse that's not a believer, you need to read all of this. I don't have time to go through it. But 1 Peter 3, 7 says this. Likewise, ye husbands. Saying this, husbands. Husbands, get on the ball. Start doing what you're supposed to do. If our husbands and fathers acted right, we would change about 90% of the problems in this world. Amen? Amen. Dan, I was talking with our state trooper young man, uh, Austin. And I said, about how many of these guys you arrest and have to deal with, how many of them do you think really have fathers? And he was like, very little of them. Very few, Dan, right? If our husbands did their job, this world would be better. Ladies, amen? amen? That's when you should be going like this, ladies. If he's talking to you, he got my email. <laughs> First Peter 3, 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Look at this phrase. Sometimes this has been misused. Honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. I can't believe I have to say this. I can't believe I have to say this. But men and women are physically different. And there's a very good chance they're born that way. <laughs> Chromosomes are different. Skeleton. Do you know an, art, an anthropologist can look at a skeleton of a human being and tell whether it's a man or a female? Right. Muscles are different with men and women. Lung capacity are different with men and women. Hearts and, and brains are different. Reflex, reflexes are different with men and women. Some, of, some women are better with, some men are better. But men are women are different. And one of the things about that is that men are more, on whole, physically strong than a woman. This does not lower a woman. What Peter is saying, hey, that lady, lift her up and cherish her. Do you know what the world does? He said, well, Pastor, that seems a little old-fashioned. Yeah, I hold doors for ladies. I still call people ma'am, no matter how old you are, because my mama raised me right. But you know what that is? That's not lowering ladies down by saying ladies are physically less strong than a man. That's lifting ladies up. And Peter is saying, you take care of her. In a culture that Peter is writing to, that it was nothing to smack a wife or hurt a wife or physically intimidate a lady, Peter is saying, don't you dare do that. You lift up your bride and you take care of her. Sir, if you said I do, you may not have realized this, but you made a promise to God, probably her dad too, and probably in front of a whole bunch of people that you will cherish and take care of her. You say, well, she's this and she acts this way. You shouldn't have married a woman if that's what you wanted. <laughs> Amen, ladies? Amen. You say, well, he does. she thinks I'm supposed to know what she wants. And they're all that way. So, well, what do I do? Work harder. You know what you do? Look at what Peter says here. I'm going to show you what you do. As being heirs together of the grace of life. Grace changes earthly relationships. I need to stop there for a moment and just say a time out. I am not talking about physically abusive relationships as I go through this. I'm not talking about a, a spouse who repeatedly is cheating on their spouse. I need to be careful about that connotations, Okay. But cha grace changes relationships. This is what I'd like to do. But this is not, I don't know if this is spiritual, but put this up here. It's the best I can come up with. Grace is duct tape for life. <laughs> duct tape is amazing. It's a handyman's secret weapon. If you can't fix something, if you don't know how to do it or anything else, you can get duct tape, and you can fix it with duct tape and put it back together. 
You say, well, my husband forgot my birthday. Grace. Take out some grace. Put it over that. If you wanted a man who remembered everything, you should have married the guy you first dated, right? Right? My wife, you know what? I've had, some of you right now maybe are going through this. I've had ladies who reach a certain age in their 50s and 60s, and I've had men, oh, my wife's driving me crazy. She's always hot. Then she's always cold. And she changes the temperature and everything else like that. And I don't know what, you know what you do, sir? Grace. That's your bride. You take out a little grace, and you just patch it and say, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to take care of you no matter what. I don't understand you, but if I wanted somebody I understood, I wouldn't have married a girl, right? <laughs> Your cousin said something about you on Facebook. Well, well, that's when you remind everybody about her eating disorder, right? Or about her son's alcohol problem. No, no, no. You know what you do? Grace. A little forgiveness. Someone cuts you off. Grace. I had somebody... I had somebody insult me this week, just flat out to my face, insult me, and, uh, and I knew I was preaching this message. It's amazing what God does. I think God does more about me on, than anybody in this room in this, but, and I thought, man, I had a perfect zinger. I had two zingers to come back with. Really? Well, let me say this, this, and this, and I could have walked away, pipe-bombed, you know, just dropped it and gone, deal with that, shorty, right? And uh, no, and I just said, well... Okay. Grace. Grace is a duct tape for life. You're married to a woman. You'll need that. (laughs) You're married to a wonderful woman, Claire. Why is it so important? Listen, uh, this is a big verse. Look at verse 7. Your relationship, your marriage, your, your relationship, look what it says that your prayers be not hindered. Can I tell you, in context, we sometimes think about that, that's your prayer to get that promotion, that's your prayer. In context, it's the prayer of your spouse coming to know Christ as their Savior. The greatest testimony of Jesus, I'm going to get you out of therapy here, I'm going to help you here if you listen to this. The greatest testimony for Jesus is when a believer in Jesus Christ has received grace and been forgiven, and just forgives another person who's wronged them. Number three, grace changes elder recognition. Look at verse Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five, verse five. Likewise, you sensing a trend in our verses? Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You hear the word elder, and the word elder is not an age description. The word elder in the usage here is a position description. The original language that is written in Peter, it's presbyterius. Among Christians, it's those who preside over the assembly or churches. It's the New Testament use for bishop, elder, and pastor. The term here in 1 Peter 5.5 is the term for the position of a pastor. A person, a pastor is a person who a church examines. Back up just a second. A church examines, and they lay hands on that man, and they examine his doctrine in life, and they say, 
we are commissioning you, either in our church or to go to another church, we are commissioning you to go out and lead a body of believers and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the laying on of hands happens. I had this happen at Faith Baptist. And a whole group of elders and a group of other pastors came and they examined my doctrine. It took about a day or so. I went through, asked questions and everything else. When it was finished, they voted and they said yes. And then in service, they got together and they laid hands on me and they set me aside. In fact, that's what Paul's instructions to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.22, lay hands suddenly on no man. Meaning don't put this position of somebody who's a novice. Don't put this as somebody who just got saved last week. Don't put this in a position of somebody who is not ready for the responsibility, who does not have his home in order. So what is a pastor? Let me just give you a quick highlights of this. This is so important because we're blockbuster videoing this. Let's change with the times. Number one, a pastor is a man of one wife. An elder and a deacon must be a man. Deacons are not elders. Deacons are servants. Elders are leaders. They assist the elders in ministry. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 12 says, But I suffer a woman not to teach nor usurp authority. We do not have lady elders. We do not have lady deacons. We will not ever have a lady preacher in this pulpit. You say, well, pastor, that's old-fashioned. I had some ladies ask me about that just recently and stuff. No, that's not old-fashioned. That's Bible. There's nothing wrong with a lady being in charge of our teenagers. I don't consider teenagers men. In fact, I don't consider you until you're 30 to be a man anymore, to be honest with you. I'm thinking about raising it up to 50 now, Gary. But uh, no, they're not men. The ladies of this church do an amazing job. We could not function without the ladies of this church. Uh, there is no biblical requirements to lead singing. There's no biblical requirements of who's in charge of the nursery and who's in charge of this ministry or who's in charge of the committee. Those are not in the Bible. Those are just extra things we've added. They're not in the Bible. But you mark it down and you put this here. A man must be the pastoral position and a man must be a deacon. Amen? Amen? And what happens? You know what happens? I spent about two hours reading false teachers on this. Just wanted to see. They all said the same thing. Their answer for all these verses, time has changed. You know what they're saying? Blockbuster video. We're going to change with the times, and we're going to get on the next new trend, and we're going to adjust. And you know what? Sometimes it's very difficult to find deacons and elders because this requirement eliminates many people. You know what? I'm going to open up a can, but let me just point something out here. The requirements of a deacon and elder is the husband of one wife. It doesn't say they're divorced. Charles Stanley is the pastor of First Baptist of Atlanta. His wife left him. She went home to be with the Lord, but his wife left him. He got up and told his church, I'm still the husband of one wife. I will never date or seek another wife. She will not come back to me. And his church said, okay. Biblically, he's correct. Now, that's a great argument about whether or not you would sit under a divorced pastor or anything like that. But Charles Stanley is still the husband of one wife. We need to make clear on that. There are, it never says divorced or anything. It doesn't say that his wife gives him problems or anything like that. A pastor must be a man of one wife. Now, when we talk about this, you say, well, we're, we're dealing with grace, pastor. Right? You're, you're talking about this, but why shouldn't we just, let's give grace to this man. 
Let's give grace. You know, that woman is the best speaker in our church. Why don't we just let her get up and teach? Why don't we let her? And by the way, ladies sometimes are the best preachers in a church. Best preacher I ever heard was my mom. But she didn't do it from a pulpit. She did it at the kitchen table to us and stuff. But seriously, sometimes a lady can be the best speaker. Let's give grace, Pastor. Let's just sort of overlook. Listen, let me just say this about grace. Grace is not the validation of error. Grace is lovingly correction of an error. Grace is not ignoring a problem. Grace is not ignoring a situation. But you know what grace is? Grace is trying to be kind and caring to that person so that they can correct the issue that's in their life. Amen? Grace does not ignore problems. It does not ignore facts. It does not ignore biology. But grace lovingly with a kind heart tries to help somebody. Number two, a pastor must be a spiritual leader with a moral life. Driving through, coming back from Nebraska, we stopped at a McDonald's, and they're three or two hours behind us, and we're at McDonald's. There's a TV on, and Aretha Franklin's funeral was going on, and I think it's still going on. (laughs) And uh, this young singer, who I didn't quite know, but Belle knew who she was, and she was dressed completely inappropriate for her. But anyways, but she was singing a song and stuff, and then this bishop, he called himself a bishop, got up, and he inappropriately touched her. Sandra and I saw that. We, we both looked at each other together and said, did you see what I just saw? That's completely inappropriate. And Sandra looked at me and said, he's got problems in his life. If it's going to come out on a stage in front of thousands and people on TV and do it, and he later came out and apologized for this, he groped a 22-year-old girl in front of national TV. That's not, a, that's not acceptable. A man can make a mistake. Men make, men make mistakes, ladies, right? When you do that, you re- we repent. You come under church restoration and church authority and church discipline. But until you get that taken care of, an elder must have a moral and ethical life. One of the things that bothered me so much about that is that... How does anybody in that man's church, how does any young girl in that church approach him as a father figure knowing what he's really like? Number three, a pastor must be a person given given grace. Given grace. I will make mistakes. I will let you down. Pastor Ken will make a mistake and let you down. Can I just ask this this week? Just this is the only thing I ask. Would you please give me half the grace you give the Detroit Lions? Some of you are excited for 1 o'clock or Monday night. Oh, it starts again. They're going to play again. They're going to lose again. But yet you're still on the team. You're, You're still a fan. Can you give me half the grace you give U of M? That was ridiculous, losing to Notre Dame. Can you give me half the grace you give the Spartans? Half the grace you've given the Tigers. We went to the Tiger game. We had some friends from out of town. They're St. Louis Cardinals, and we went there. Tigers are winning 3-1 to one and going into ninth inning, and here comes our closer, Shane Green. And I told the, our friend there, your best player just came on the field, and he gave up a two-run home run. <laughs> I t- and I looked at him, and I said, told you, seen this game before. But you know what? I still love the Tigers. This season is so disappointing. 
but I still love the tigers. Would you please give the elders of your church half the grace you're willing to give your sports team? Our deacons, would you please give them the mistake, the same type of grace you give your boss when they make a mistake? Your boss makes a mistake, you wouldn't kick in the door and say, listen, loser, you've got a problem. Would you please give our deacons the same level of grace that you would give your boss? You'd be patient with them, wouldn't you? In Oakland Woods, can you give Oakland Woods the same amount of grace you give GM? Some of you get pensions from GM. They're involved in bad stuff. They give money to some horrible groups that are contrary to the gospel. They give money and they're involved in a lot of shady things and some difficult things. You know what you do? Well, you know, you have to take the good with the bad with a company. Totally agree with you. Keep your pension. Can I say this, though? Sometimes Oakland Woods makes mistakes, but we've never killed anybody. We've never given money to an organization that's trying to pull in little girls into lesbianism. We've never done that. If you can give GM grace, young man, young man, anybody who's younger than me, I always call young man, but a, a man in, in our church, George Cherrick, sometimes God speaks through the strangest places. George Cherrick and I were talking, and he said this to me, and I wrote it down because it was so profound. I said, I'm going to write this down. He said this. You can't judge someone. You can't judge someone on their worst day. Everyone loses their temper. Everyone says something on a softball field they shouldn't have. Everybody reacts to a situation they shouldn't have probably reacted that way. If it's a pattern developing, then they need to change some stuff. You can't judge somebody on their worst day. And I want to be a church that's like that. Not ignoring issues, not ignoring problems, but not being a blockbuster either. Being a dispenser of grace. Somebody's not doing what they're supposed to. We don't come down on them and hurt them. But maybe we start approaching people and saying, this needs to, this, you're not doing yourself any favors here. Elder or deacon needs to change something and adjust something in their life. Why don't we be a dispenser of grace? Because when it's you, you want that grace, don't you? I want to be a church, not a blockbuster. I want to be a grace dispenser. I had an in the closing story I wanted to do. I'm not going to do it. This is what I would like you to do. Sometimes I go and talk to people and say, hey, would you come forward during the invitation and help me? Because it's always easier if somebody else comes forward. But I didn't do that today. But would you help me give this invitation today? If you're here and you need God's grace, I'd love to show you what God's Word says about accepting Christ. Amen? But if you're here and somebody in your life needs grace, you need to be the dispenser. When Gary leads the singing, would you step out of where you're at and just come down here and thank God for the grace that was given you. Thank God that every mistake you've made has not been broadcast to the world. Name that person who wronged you that person who has done you bad and ask God to give you the grace to give to that person. Now, I understand that an invitation like that, that might seem like, well, no one's going to come. 
But honestly, I can't understand why every person in this room won't come forward. Because everybody in here has somebody, somebody who needs the grace of God. And you are the dispenser. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? As our instruments come and Gary